What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the College Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Smith. We are one of the fastest growing shows for the American Athletic Conference, and we're just going to keep that momentum going. We've got the basketball media days coming up next Monday, which I will be attending. If you have any questions or, you know, whether it's for a coach, a player, I'm working, I'm working on getting uh, some one-on-one time with Commissioner Oresco uh, to, to talk about some things, including some things I'm going to talk about on today's show, because I'm going to talk about the latest surrounding Army. And also um, on today's show, I'll be talking about some breaking news from the NCAA as it pertains to the transfer portal and how I think this could be a massive win, not just for the American Conference, but for all of G5 football conferences and basketball for that matter. But I'll mainly be looking at it through a football lens today. And then, uh, as I told you, might have a surprise or two for you next week as well, which I'm excited about. But Today's show, we're going to talk about Army, and we're going to talk about this transfer portal. I did, uh, I ran some numbers, not just for the American Conference, but for all G5s, the Mountain West, the Conference USA, the Sun Belt, and the MAC, and basically crunched some numbers to see how significant could this transfer portal rule be for G5 teams as far as um, those football programs and, and I guess what hurdle this transfer portal has created for teams that are at the G5 level. And, you know, of course, there are always going to be anomalies. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule. But I think this study is pretty eye-opening, and I'll get to that as well. But before I get into any of it, if you're watching on YouTube, you know what to do. Please, please, like, subscribe, comment at the end, share it with a friend. I got my analytics for last week yesterday. There were 28.5 thousand people watching this channel last week. So all I'm asking is, is if you're not a subscriber, just hit the subscribe button. Okay, especially if you're a fan of the American Conference and really all of the G5s. Just come on and join the party. All right? I, I think if you subscribe, you won't regret it. So I'll leave that at that. And then if you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, any of those, please, please, please leave a five-star rating. Leave me a positive review. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Now, without further ado, let's jump right in. I want to talk about Army to the American. I've had some people reach out to me on Twitter X, including this morning, asking, hey, what's the latest? What's the latest? Well, the truth is, The latest is the same as it was weeks ago when this all first got started. The reference point I'm going to give you is the latest Ross Dellinger article, which kind of slid under the radar. I don't know if it was because of other things that started happening last week as it pertained to the ACC. I don't know if it was... Um, you know, the, the, the quote I reacted to on Friday of the guy talking about the recruits telling him the Washington state recruits telling him that Washington state coaches were saying they were going to the big 12. I don't know if all this just sort of overshadowed it, but <clears throat> there were a couple pieces that I want to address a couple hurdles that are in the way right now between army joining the American. Here's what I know. I know that at this point, the American conference wants army in, in, in more than ever before in the past, Army wants to be in the American. But there are some hurdles 
beyond the Army-Navy game. That's mainly what I've spoken to up to this point are the different I's to dot and T's to cross as it pertains to the Army-Navy game. But there's a couple of other ones that Dellinger brought up after his conversation with Commissioner Oresco that I want to speak to because I think these could end up being deal breakers. And we're going to look at it through a logical lens, what Commissioner Oresco has to weigh out with the information that we have. And then honestly, if I can get some time with Commissioner Oresco next Monday, um, I'm going to kind of see if I can get an even more current update on where things are. But as of right now, here's some things you need to know. First off, before I reference the Dellinger report, the three hurdles are this. The Army-Navy game, which we know. Army's current TV contract, which is with CBS Sports Network. And then they have more than 80 scheduled games into the future because they're an independent team right now. They've got over 80 games scheduled that the buyout on those currently is $35 million. So in order to get out of their future scheduled games, it's going to cost them $35 million. So, I mean, that's, that's, we're talking like Mountain West exit fee level, right? As an independent, because you're not exiting a conference, but you are exiting uh, or you are breaking contract on scheduled games. Now, according to Dellinger's report, and I have, I'm linking this down in the description or down, yeah, down in the description. As an independent, the Black Knights have more than 80 games scheduled in the coming years with a combined exit fee of more than $35 million, sources tell Yahoo Sports. The school has enlisted scheduling guru Dave Brown in an effort to break free of the agreements or reschedule the games. There is a possibility that Army's scheduled opponents could conceivably play one another. The financials could be tricky could be a tricky issue as well. The AAC's six new expansion teams are not receiving the same amount of conference revenue distribution as the original members, um, an average of $9 million a year, according to this report. So let's think about this for a second. Let me take you back to the beginning of August when the American conference got thrown in the middle of the realignment conversation. Do you remember what I was saying? Even, even when we were still talking about going after the PAC four, or then when it became the PAC two, I said that, com that commissioner Oresco's priorities, and I remember listing them out, his priorities should be, I said, one with SMU leaving, look to negotiate as high of an exit fee as you can, which I still there's, there's been no smoke around or information around that lately. But then two, I said, you want to keep your existing schools happy. Before you go look to add other teams, even if those other teams would enhance your conference, you want to keep your existing schools happy. Double down on your investment into existing schools. Something that needs to be taken into consideration with this addition of Army is could the price be so high that adding to get Army in, it would take away too much from existing members, mainly the newcomers? 
right? Because they're not going to start getting a more equal revenue share for a while now. However, you get this new money coming in from SMU combined with the exit fee money you already have, you may be able to sweeten the pot a little bit and double down on your investment revenue wise into some of these newer schools to help try to expedite the transitional process. Because as we're seeing right now, it hasn't exactly been the seamless transition for any of these teams. In fact, the team that's having the most success so far is Rice. And I think that going back to preseason, that's that's different than what expectations were, especially for a couple of the other teams. Now, we still have a little bit over half of the season left to play, so we'll see how everything plays out. But you want the American Conference to be a strong, you know, you want it to be the strongest G5 conference. You lost a big part of your heart, right? They ripped your heart out, and now you're rebuilding. Well, the way to expedite a rebuild is revenue. So my point is, is if it's going to require so much money to get Army in, like if, if the American has to help Army with some of those exit fees or maybe even pay majority of them to get them in and it's going to take money out of the pockets of existing members or what potentially could be money to existing members. That's what I believe commissioner Oresco right now is having to evaluate. Okay. Let's see what this Dave Brown fella can, can help with on the scheduling piece. Let's see what we can get that exit fee number down to. We still got to figure out this TV contract with CBS sports network. Cause I believe that's through 2028. Like there are some genuine hurdles here that could realistically kill this deal and it not be because the American didn't want it to happen or army didn't want it to happen, right? This isn't the first time these two teams, these, these two entities have flirted with each other, but ultimately army always made the decision to stay independent. I think as we're seeing the landscape shift, as we're seeing this access to the college football playoff, um, opening up for G five conferences, it's, it's more enticing than ever if Army were for Army to join a conference. And they're probably looking at Air Force right now. Air Force, I mean, they're kind of controlling their own destiny right now for the New Year's Six bid. If they were to win out, beat uh, undefeated Fresno in the Mountain West Conference Championship, they're going to be the highest ranked G5. Not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying on some level, they got to be going, wait, if we get into a conference, we got a shot. But I think these financials are a little bit more significant than initially thought. And that's why we're continuing to get this report that decisions should come in the coming weeks. Like, if you remember, we heard that weeks ago. And then weeks later, we basically hear the same thing in this Dellinger report. He said, Army could be joining AAC in coming weeks. He said that on September 28th. I'm, I'd have to go back and look, but I'm confident that weeks ago, that same report was put out there. Army joining the AAC could happen in the coming weeks. A few weeks later, it's the coming weeks. It's, well, I think there's a little bit more surrounding this issue than what initially meets the eye. So my gut, my, my instinct, my thoughts, my brain, as I piece it all together, is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? Well, I think it's going to boil down to what can this consultant help Army negotiate this payout from these scheduled games to? And then what can Oresco, ESPN, and CBS Sports Network work to, to, to get 
Army out of that deal earlier because that would likely be the play is Oresco working with ESPN to buy out that contract or somehow get Army out of their deal with CBS Sports Network. ESPN might be more than willing to do so if it means they get to broadcast the Army-Navy game as well. So you got to take that into consideration. That's why I think on the media side, I'm not as concerned as I am on the scheduling side because the scheduling exit fee is very similar to a conference exit fee. And that's what it's going to boil down to. All right, let's keep it moving. There is a new transfer ruling that happened this morning. Don't know if you heard, but the NCAA, I'm going to read it to you directly. And there's two articles I'm referencing on this, one from ESPN, one from On3. I will also link both of those to the bottom. You can also go to the NCAA's website. But the NCAA Division I Council approved changes to the transfer portal windows that will shrink the number of days for student athletes to enter their name into the portal. The rule change will impact all sports and give players 45 total days throughout the year to enter their name into the transfer portal. I think it's been 60 or somewhere in that range. Basically, now players are going to have 30 days after the season, which they've had, I think, 45 and then 15 days in the spring, I don't know. It, it's, I know they've had 45 days after the season, I'm pretty sure. And now they only have 30. So basically, the day after the CFP teams are announced, the portal opens. And up to this point, it's been open until like February or close to it. Now, the portal is going to close uh, what would be early January because those CFP announcements are made in early December. Now, a couple things to be mindful of. This window is just to, for a player to enter their name in the portal, right? Entering your name into the portal allows coaches from other teams to talk to you, even though I think we all know that happens before that. <laughs> Sometimes it's the conversation with the coach that gets a kid to put their name in the portal. But then the portal is what allows a kid to transfer without penalty. And then also grad transfers. This does not apply to them. Grad transfers can still transfer at any time. Here's a couple quotes. One from Sam Pittman, the coach at University of Arkansas, and one from uh, Coach uh, Shane Beamer at um, South Carolina. So Pittman said, I think kids who go into the portal – no, they're going to transfer way faster than 45 days. Beamer says, if a guy's going to transfer, he knows he's transferring by the end of spring practice. He doesn't need the whole month of May to figure it out. Because think about that. Kids who wait 30 days or who take the whole month of May, who wait longer than 30 days or take the whole month of May, as these two coaches are alluding to, typically these are kids who are getting a phone call from an assistant coach or somebody affiliated with another program saying, hey, we had a spot come open we weren't expecting. You want to come play power five ball if they're talking to a G5 kid or you want to come play for a winner if you're talking to a kid who's already at a power five program that may be losing. And that's where I want to look at this through. Look at this through a lens from a G5 program. And the amount of kids who transfer to Power 5 programs for no other reason other than to be added depth. 
Think about your program right now, whoever you're a fan of or whoever you're an alum of. Think about a kid or a couple of players that you lost this last cycle to the transfer portal that went power five and they're currently sitting the bench right now. And then think about what they could be doing had they stayed. Now, I know that's not always the case. I know sometimes you have guys that they transfer from G5 to Power 5 and they completely tear it up. And listen, I'm not bashing that even. Look, if a kid has an opportunity because they were overlooked in recruiting or whatever, they came in, they did their job, they shined at the G5 level, they got an opportunity to go play Power 5 football somewhere where it increased their brand, it increased their draft stock, it allowed them to get NIL opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten legally, then I'm all for it if it's going to help the kid. But at the end of the day, that's not always the case. You and I both know that more times than not, a kid often will get suckered into getting into the portal, leave a situation for something that they think the grass is going to be greener only to get screwed over in the end. It happens all the time and it's happened this last cycle. And so I really think this can help not just G5 programs, but also the group of five athletes. It protects them. So I did a little study here where I went through and I looked at every G5 to Power 5 transfer from this last cycle, from 22 to 23. And I looked at how many of these were after the 30-day window. So I looked at how many there were total and then how many of those were after the 30-day window. Because I'm telling you, these kids that transfer that late, it's likely because they got poached. They were illegally recruited. Some Power 5 assistant calls their phone and says, hey, we just had a kid leave we didn't expect. You want to come play Power 5 football? We need you. You're the guy on our list. And that kid's going to say, yes, of course. All right, hop in the portal and we'll make it happen. Then that kid transfers. And really what they weren't told from that coach is, we just need you here to be some depth. We just need you here for practice. We just need you here to be on the sidelines in case somebody, you know, the guys ahead of you get hurt. They make them think, yeah, hey, here's your opportunity. Come play power five ball. Then that kid leaves what was probably a good situation for something they think is going to be better. And now they're sitting the bench. I mean, I, I can think of a couple schools in the American Conference right now that lost some guys to some very big schools like prime SEC schools, and they're sitting on the bench right now. Whereas had they just stayed, they could be significant contributors where they were at. So, so it's about protecting the kid, and it's about you know, also protecting these, these G5 programs. So the American Conference, out of its 14 teams, they had 48 G5 they had 48 kids go Power 5, basically. They had 48 transfers go to Power 5 schools. 20 of those were after that 30-day window. 42% of kids who transferred out of the American Conference to a Power 5 conference did it after that 30-day window, with the, basically what the new deadline would be meaning they were likely called after the fact, after this Power 5 school maybe lost a kid they weren't expecting to lose, someone got hurt, and they hit him up and said, hey, you're our guy, you're our guy. And really all they're doing is sitting the bench. 
And the AAC actually had the most Power 5 transfers as well. Coming in at second was the Mountain West Conference. The Mountain West Conference had 41 kids transfer to Power 5 conferences. And 13 of those came after what would be the new deadline. That's 32%. The Sunbelt Conference had 36. Seven of those came after that new deadline. The MAC had 35. 14 of those came after the new deadline. That's 40% of the MAC Power 5 transfers came after. 19% of the Sunbelt Conference's Power 5 transfers came after. And then the Conference USA had 28 Power 5 transfers and eight of them came after the new deadline or what would be the new deadline. That's 29%. So in total, and I'm almost done, but in total, there were 188 group of five athletes who transferred to Power 5 institutions in this last cycle, 62 of them came after what would be this new deadline. Now, the next layer of this study would be to dive into how many of those 62, I'd also be curious with how many of those 188 are actually contributing at their new landing spot versus what they could be doing had they stayed. Look, I'm not saying it doesn't always work out. Look, I already already said, I'm all for a kid bettering himself with opportunities, doing it the right way. But what I don't like is how kids are being taken advantage of through the portal and they're being talked out of leaving what could be a really good situation for them and they're sort of swindled into leaving to go power five because the grass is going to be greener playing power five and they're just sitting the bench. Think about your team right now. Leave it in the comments. Say, yeah, We lost some guys. I'm a fan of whoever. But 33% of all G5 to Power 5 transfers from this past cycle came after what would be that 30-day window. There might be some margin for error there. I used the on three transfer portal rankings and transfer portal um, dates and things of that nature to try and pinpoint this as as, um, close as I could. But ultimately, I think it would all balance out. I mean, I think where I was wrong, I think, you know, it it would happen both ways. But even if you just leave some margin for error, I mean, we're still looking at likely 30%. That's a lot. And I think that hopefully this will allow group of five programs to sort of begin to use the portal to their advantage still. Because think about it this way, and this is the last thing I'll say. If you have a group of five kid transfer to a power five conference, likely the situation is that kid was overlooked out of high school. They were underrated. They didn't have all the stars or they initially went power five and just weren't ready. But likely what it is, is they got overlooked. They were underrated or they just weren't as good yet. They were a late bloomer. Get on with a group of five program, work their tail off and become a solid prospect, a really good player, and they've outperformed their initial projection. And now they're desirable. They're desired by power five conferences. Whereas when a G five conference gets a power five transfer, it's usually the exact opposite of that. It's either they were overrated in high school or they were too hyped in high school. They came in They were an early bloomer. They came in, got passed up by everybody, 
and they underperformed based on their original projection. And now they're having to go play with lesser competition. That doesn't always work either. Now, in some cases, it does, right? You have anomalies like Simeon Blair comes to mind. He's the former safety for the University of Arkansas, heck of a player at the University of Arkansas. Arkansas had a lot of turnover on the defensive side of the ball as far as staff is concerned. Defensive coordinator Barry Odom got the head coaching job at UNLV, took his linebackers coach with him. Uh, the secondary, one of the secondary coaches is at Temple now, and they brought in a lot of new staff. I don't really know the full story with Simeon Blair, but I know he transfers to Memphis, and now he's, he's playing really well. So this is a kid who, he wasn't overrated or anything, it just the, the circumstances surrounding it had him going from Arkansas to Memphis, and it really worked out. But a lot of other times, that's not the case. I mean, I think you can look at a program like Charlotte right now. Charlotte overturned their three and nine roster and added a significant amount of power five transfers. Yet to this point in the season, their on-field performance has been exactly the same as last year's team that went three and nine. Now I'm not saying Charlotte's about to go three and nine. I don't know what's going to happen with them. I'm just saying getting a power five transfer to a G5 program doesn't always mean you've, you've, you've hit gold. Where a lot of times, if you're a Power 5 program pulling a G5 player that's a key player, you're usually, if in a worst case, you're getting quality depth. So it's benefiting the program because you're getting quality depth, but you're not benefiting that player. Because a lot of times, had that player stayed where he was, he would have had more opportunity than if he went thinking the grass would be greener. Okay, I'm going to get off that soapbox. Let me know your thoughts both on Army and on the transfer portal ruling. That's it for me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Trey Smith, College Game Time.